Well, open your Bibles to the book of Ephesians. The book of Ephesians. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans, 1st and 2nd Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians. I remember Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians by General Electric Power Company when I was a kid. And that always got me close to Ephesians. We're going to begin a study of this book now that will probably take us the better part of a year or a year and a half. I was telling someone that I, um, uh, they were asking me, how long do you think it's going to get through Ephesians? And my, my answer was, I, I don't know. You know, I, I just entered my 59th year and realized we will probably, I will probably never preach through the entire book of Ephesians again. And it's like visit, having one visit to the Grand Canyon. You want to make sure that you see all that you can see while you're there. So I don't think we're going to be in a hurry as we get into this book. In Ephesians 5, verse 1, Paul says, Be imitators of God. Be imitators of God. As beloved children, walk in love, just as Christ also loved you and gave himself up for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God as a fragrant aroma. That really captures the heart of this epistle. If we understand this letter rightly, we will be imitators of God and appliers of the gospel. The world we wake up to each morning is clearly in a high-speed wobble. A viral pandemic calls for police reform, government unrest and corruption, racial mistrust and conflict. a homeschool, wearing masks in public, on and on and on. We live in a world of massive disruptions and massive distortions and massive distractions. Enter the book of Ephesians. Ephesians cuts through the fog of uncertainty with clarity about God, clarity about the gospel about providing solutions to the soul's real problems. And today we begin a verse-by-verse exposition of this amazing letter from Paul to the church at Ephesus. Now, years of ministry and study of God's Word have brought me to an important conclusion. And I say this uh, very, not, not lightly, I say this with very, very much gravity in my heart. There is a list of categories of theology that we have in our, in our study of systematic theology. When you broaden out the spectrum and see the widest angle from New Testament and Old Testament, I am convinced that there's one study of theology that really overarches all others. Theology proper, Christology, pneumatology, angelology, ecclesiology, eschatology, harmardiology, theological anthropology, soteriology. I have a strong and a growing conviction that one of them, again, stands as the watchman for all the rest. After establishing the church at Ephesus, we're going to look at that, that story next week. Paul left his disciple his comrade Timothy as their pastor while he continued as a missionary. 
The book of 1 Timothy, by the way, is Paul's letter to Timothy on how to have a, a biblical perspective on pastoral ministry at the church in Ephesus where he left him. How to establish leadership, how to be a faithful shepherd, how to give ecclesiological understanding. In the middle of his letter to Timothy, in 1 Timothy, he writes this, 1 Timothy 3. I'm writing these things to you, hoping to come to you before long, but in case I'm delayed, I write these things so that you will know how one ought to conduct himself in the household of God. All right? What is that? Listen to this. Which is the church of the living God, the pillar and support of the truth. That's quite a statement. So Paul told Timothy, who was pastoring at Ephesus, that the church indeed is the pillar and the support of the truth. I think it's accurate to say then, ecclesiology or the study of the church, the doctrine of the church, is indeed the watchman for all other doctrines. Let me say it as strongly as I can. If you get ecclesiology wrong, you will likely get something wrong in every other study of theology. And if you get ecclesiology or the study of the church right, you set the table for studying every other branch of theology. Ecclesiology, the study of the church then, is the bookshelf for the books. It's the bag for the groceries. It's the toolbox that holds the tools. It's the thread that connects the material for a garment. It's the legs beneath the table. It's the wheels on a car. And it's the purse for... For, for, well, everything that ladies put in purses. It holds everything together. It's the pillar and the support of God's truth is the church. Therefore, having a thorough and working understanding of the church is essential for any real progress in Christian growth and maturity. That's important enough that I want to say it again. Having a thorough and working understanding of the church is essential for any real progress in Christian growth and maturity. Said another way, the New Testament knows nothing about Christian maturity and Christian growth independent from active and persistent involvement in the local church. The book of Ephesians is, according to Jim Boyce, a mini-doctrine of the church, a short course in ecclesiology, I've become convinced by scripture and by experience that distorted views of the church are at the heart of almost every problem and trouble a believer faces. That's a huge statement. That every trouble you and I face in our hearts is somehow related to a misunderstanding or misapplication of ecclesiology of the church. And a biblical understanding and a biblical application of the church provides the true solutions for the problems that we wrestle with. This is why a study of Ephesians is so important, and I think this is why God has led us as a church to study the book of Ephesians in this moment, in this year, as we await the return of the Lord Jesus. I've given a theme, a kind of a catchphrase to our study of Ephesians, and, and honestly, it's not really novel, it's not really creative, but I've been working on this since the summer, and it's this. Ephesians is really the, about the work 
and the wealth of God in Jesus Christ. The work and wealth of God in Jesus Christ. The work all God has done for us in the gospel through Christ. The wealth, all that we get and get to enjoy because of the gift of God's grace and salvation in Jesus Christ. And the context for receiving God's work and wealth is the church. Ephesians is about the church. It shows us how the fullness of Godhead, of the Godhead manifests himself. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit minister in his unique creation called the church. And Ephesians establishes the doctrine of the church and also corrects distortions and abuses in our ecclesiology. Let's just start from the very beginning and admit that none of us have an absolutely accurate understanding of the church. All of our ecclesiology can be improved. Ephesians is a short six-chapter manual for Christianity. It's the favorite book or a favorite book of all of my favorite Christians. Clinton Arnold says, this letter sums up what it means to be a Christian better than any other book in the Bible. That's quite a statement. Ephesians was John Calvin's favorite book. He preached 48 sermons from Ephesians. There may be some competition before that's over. F.F. Bruce says it is the quintessence of Paulinism. To understand Paul is to understand Ephesians. To understand Ephesians is to understand Paul. And to understand Paul is to understand the Holy Spirit's message to the church. Missionary and author Ruth Paxson calls Ephesians, I love this, the grand canyon of scripture, meaning that it is breathtakingly beautiful and apparently inexhaustible to the one who wants to take it in. And P.T. O'Brien calls Ephesians one of the most significant documents ever written. Those are amazing accolades, and I could give you dozens and dozens more if we had the time. But we do remember, as much as we love Ephesians and want to study, study Ephesians, that Paul said that all Scripture is profitable. It's an amazing book, but it's no more Scripture than any other book in the Bible. No more important, but I think God has us sitting at its table in the history of our faith, in the history of our church in the next months. I think it's wise to see this as God's specific word to Mission Road Bible Church, God's specific word to you as a believer, and God intends to talk to us through Ephesians over the next year or so. I trust you'll in joining me in the wonderful anticipation of what our study of Ephesians each week will bring with the question coming in every week, what does God have to say to me today in this text? What does God have to say to me today in this text? Boy, if we all come with that attitude, I think there will be no end to the work that we'll see him do in our church and in our lives And the great news is this. We're going to study this. It will be, we won't finish it until 2022, I'm I'm, I'm convinced. But you don't have to wait till we work through this book to mine out its treasures. There is nothing 
in the Bible. There is nothing in our church that says you cannot read ahead and study ahead right now. If you really want to dive into what it means that he's giving us, given us beyond, um, so much more beyond what we ask or think, you can do that today. You can have your own study. So please, we're going to be going a little slower, but don't wait if you want to dig in. Please have at it. Now, one way we're going to look at this study is from the perspective of the three relationships that every believer has. Um, This will be a very quick overview, but if you look at all the relationships that you have, it's interesting that Ephesians addresses all of these relational dimensions. If you think about this, you have a relationship with God, a relationship with the church, with believers, and a relationship with unbelievers. So, first of all, as we study through Ephesians, you're going to find out over and over and over, it points us upward to our relationship with God. Paul gives three strong theological chapters about God and his work before he starts getting very practical in chapter 4 to say, so what? He points us to our relationship with God before he points us to dealing with life in a way that's so abundantly supplied. It also will point us inward to our relationships in the church. This is one of the most overlooked doctrines in ecclesiology and in, frankly, all of our lives. We, we live in America, those of us who worship here, and we, we have kind of an independent spirit, and we check in on Sundays and check in at care group and check in on Wednesday night and maybe have a lunch or a coffee every now and then without really fully understanding that God's context for growth really truly means that we have our most intimate connections, encouragement, and motivations for the Christian life in and among our relationships with each other in the church. And so much of what Paul is going to outline in chapters 2 and 3, especially chapter 4, will point us to how to operate responsibly with other believers in the church, especially those that look very different than us and are very different than us. And then thirdly, it points us outward to our relationships with unbelievers and does so by helping us understand what the gospel is, how to frame it, how to present it. If we understand salvation properly, we will understand evangelism properly. The density also of theology in the book of Ephesians is is incredible. Um, I'm going to confess, it's... Romans may be a close uh, competitor to this, but every time I've read Ephesians over the last few months preparing for this study, it's almost like every phrase I want to stop and dig down and do a study. It is so dense and rich. It drenches us with theology. But it's not abstract theology. Ephesians demonstrates for us how right thinking leads to right living. Right thinking leads to right living, and right thinking is rooted in right doctrine. How important it is to be accurate theologically, Paul underlines over and over and over. He also shows us why theological precision is the key to enjoying the abundant life Jesus promised. It clearly connects doctrine and life. 
Every spiritual and emotional difficulty we experience is the result of not thinking rightly or biblically. This is a manual on how to think rightly and how to think biblically. I want to encourage you that our study of Ephesians is one of God's means to correct your thinking, to improve your thinking, to increase your thinking, and to change your thinking. It all goes back to our theology. As your theology goes, so goes the trajectory of your life. Now, I'm going to do this very quickly. Uh, I'll have this put on the website uh, tonight or tomorrow, but... Theology is broken down into some basic categories or taxonomies, different categories of theology. I just want to briefly demonstrate how thorough this book is. First of all, theology proper is the study of the character of God. In Ephesians, we will learn that God is glorious in grace, rich in mercy, great in love, good and kind and purposeful and sovereign, that he is triune. It is a compass that points us to the Godhead. It is the most thoroughly Trinitarian book in the Bible, speaking of the work of the Father, Son, and the Spirit. Ephesians is known as the Trinity letter. So it will point us to the Godhead, to theology proper. There's also angelology, the study of angels. That teaches us that there are beings in the heavenlies, angels and demons, and that we are in a battle against forces we cannot see. And nowhere in the Bible is that battle laid out and explained and given instruction toward than in Ephesians. Then there's Christology, the study of Jesus Christ. This book will teach us that Jesus is God, that he is man, that he is the personal means of all of God's blessings, that he's the provision for the forgiveness of sins, and the fullness of life is found only in him. You want to have fun? Print out a, 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 a copy of Ephesians. Just highlight every time in him, through him, for him, unto him, references to Christ show up. Then there's eschatology, the study of future things, the end times. God has created a sovereign administration, we'll see this just in a few weeks, with Jesus as the head and the king that will be brought about at his perfect timing now and in eternity. There's homardiology, that's the Greek word for sin, the study of sin. We learn that sin is inherited and a part of our nature. We learn that before salvation we are ruled by fleshly lusts that we have no power to control, but the gospel remedies that. There we go. Then there's theological anthropology. That's the study of human nature. We find that the unbeliever is dead in his sin. The, new, the believer is alive in Christ, that we live according to satanic principles before Christ and according to God and his word and his spirit afterwards. Pneumatology, or the study of the Holy Spirit, we will learn in chapter one, the Holy Spirit seals us as believers. He protects us. He guarantees our hope in life. We are to walk in step with him every day of our life to find obedience Soteriology, the study of salvation, we will study that we are saved through grace alone, in Christ alone, by faith alone, in the gospel. And the gospel is a mystery, not revealed in the Old Testament, disclosed in the New Testament, and God has given us everything we need for living the Christian life faithfully. Did I skip one? Yeah, there's some things missing up there. Then there is ecclesiology. Or did I, was that up there before? 
Okay, I'm out of line. Ecclesiology, which is the study of the church, Christ's body, glorifies God by her multi-ethnic dimensions. We'll see the Jews and Gentiles were the farthest apart they've been brought together. We'll learn that it's unity that God seeks by faithful marriages, by faithful parenting, by faithfully being a good employee by where, where you work, walking in the Spirit. The point of that is that every part of theological understanding is somehow addressed and touched in the book of Ephesians. Harold Honer writes, It seems reasonable to conclude that the purpose of Ephesians is to promote a love for one another that has a love of God and Christ as its basis. In other words, how we relate is based on how we relate to God. Ephesians is truly about the work and the wealth of God in Jesus Christ. I think the unpacking key is in chapter 3, verse 8. Paul says, To me, the very least of the saints, grace was given to preach to the Gentiles, and this was his message, the unfathomable riches of Christ. And so, for the next year or so, we're going to bask in the unfathomable riches of Christ which chapter one says, God lavished on us. Ephesians wonderfully lays out the basic doctrines of the Christian faith. Next week, we're gonna look into the background of this letter, how how, uh, it came to being, Paul's relationship with the church at Ephesus and the city of Ephesus. It's gonna be interesting. We're gonna be talking about tears and riots and all sorts of things that, that might surprise you as we look at Paul's interaction with Ephesus. Now, the first readers of Ephesus did not have a personal copy. The letter was read to them as they assembled and as they gathered. And I think it's accurate to deduce that the first time anyone ever heard the contents of this letter, it was a hearing where they heard the whole book in its entirety. So... We're going to do that right now. And I'm going to invite you to do whatever you think is profitable for you. I'm going to read you the book of Ephesians. You can follow along in your Bible if you want to, and that's completely okay. But there may be some profit in imagining yourself in that first century church and just hearing it, just listening to it. I'm not going to make any breaks in the chapters or the verses I want to read you this letter that we're going to be studying. Ephesians, from the pen of the Apostle Paul. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to the saints who are at Ephesus and who are faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we would be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to himself, according to the kind intention of his will 
to the praise of the glory of his grace, which he freely bestowed on us in the beloved. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished on us. In all wisdom and insight, he made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his kind intention, which he purposed in him, with a view to an administration suitable to the fullness of the times, that is, the summing up of all things in Christ, things in the heavens and things on the earth. In him also, we have obtained an inheritance having been predestined according to his purpose, who works all things after the counsel of his will, to the end that we who were the first to hope in Christ would be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed you were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise who is given as a pledge of our inheritance with a view to the redemption of God's own possession to the praise of his glory. For this reason, I too, having heard of the faith in the Lord Jesus which exists among you and your love for all the saints, do not cease to give thanks for you while making mention of you in my prayers. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you will know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, and what, are the, what is the surpassing greatness of his power toward us who believe. These are in accordance with the working of the strength of his might, which he brought about in Christ when he raised him from the dead seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places, far above rule and authority and power and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the age to come. And he put all things in subjection under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you formerly walked according to the course of the world, according to the prince of the power of the air of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. Among them too, we also formerly lived in the lust of our flesh, indulging in the desires of the flesh and of the mind and were by nature children of wrath even as the rest. But... God, being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. And he raised us up with him, seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the ages to come he might show the surpassing riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you've been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is a gift of God, 
not as a result of works that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. Therefore, remember that formerly you, the Gentiles in the flesh, who are called the uncircumcision by the so-called circumcision, which is performed in the flesh by human hands, remember that you were at that time separate from Christ, excluded from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who were formerly far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who made both groups into one and broke down the barrier of the dividing wall by abolishing in his flesh the enmity, which is the law of the commandments contained in the ordinances, so that in himself he might make the two, Jews and Gentiles, into one new man, thus establishing peace, and might reconcile them both in one body through the cross, by it having put to death the enmity. He came and preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. For through him, we both have our access in one spirit to the Father. So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and are of God's household. Having been built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole building being fitted together is growing into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are being built together into a dwelling of God in the Spirit. For this I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the sake of you Gentiles, if indeed you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace which was given me for you, that by revelation there was made known to me the mystery as I wrote beforehand in brief. By referring to this, when you read, you can understand my insight into the mystery of Christ, which in other generations was not made known to the sons of men, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets in the Spirit. To be specific, that the Gentiles are fellow heirs and members of the body and fellow partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel of which I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given to me according to the working of his power. To me, the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unfathomable riches of Christ and to bring to light that which is the administration of the mystery, which for ages has been hidden in God who created all things so that the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known through the church to the rulers and authorities in heavenly places. This was in accordance with the eternal purpose which he carried out in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and confident access through faith in him. Therefore, I ask you not to lose heart at my tribulations on your behalf, for they are for your glory. For this reason I bow my knees to the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name, 
that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with power through his spirit in the inner man so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith and that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge that you may be filled up to all the fullness of God. Now, to him who is able to do far more abundantly beyond all we ask or think according to the power that works within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. Therefore, I, the prisoner of the Lord, implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, showing tolerance for one another in love, being diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as also you were called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. But to each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, when he says, when it says, he ascended on high and led captive a host of captives, he gave gifts to men. Now, this expression, he ascended, what does that mean except that he also descended into the lower parts of the earth? He who descended is himself also he who ascended far above the heavens, so that he might fill all things. And he gave some as apostles, and some as prophets and some as evangelists and some as pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of service to the building up of the body of Christ until until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to a mature man to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ and as a result We are no longer to be children tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by trickery of men, by craftiness in evil scheming. But speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects into him who is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body, being fitted and held together, by what every joint supplies according to the proper working of each individual part. And it causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. So this I say and affirm together with the Lord, that you walk no longer as the Gentiles walk in the futility of their mind, being darkened in their understanding, excluded from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the hardness of their heart. And they have become callous, having given themselves over to sensuality for the practice of every kind of impurity with greediness. But you did not learn Christ in this way, if indeed you have heard him and have been taught in him 
just as truth is in Jesus. That in reference to your former life, you may lay aside the old self, which is being corrupted in accordance with the lust of deceit, and that you be renewed in the spirit of your mind, put on the new self, which is in the likeness of God, being created been, and been created in righteousness and holiness of the truth. Therefore, laying aside falsehood, speak truth each one of you with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Be angry and yet do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and do not give the devil an opportunity. He who steals must steal no longer, but rather he must labor, performing with his own hands what is good so that he will have something to share with one who has need. Let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, but only such a word as is good for edification according to the need of that moment so that it will give grace to those who hear. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving each other just as God in Christ has forgiven you. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love just as Christ also loved you and gave himself up for us an offering and a sacrifice to God as a fragrant aroma. But immorality or any impurity or greed must not even be named among you as is proper among saints. And there must be no filthiness and silly talk or coarse jesting, which are not fitting, but rather the giving of thanks. For this you know with certainty that no immoral or impure person or covetous man who is an idolater has an inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore do not be partakers with them, for you were formerly darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of light consists in all goodness and righteousness and truth, trying to learn what is pleasing to the Lord. Do not participate in the unfruitful deeds of darkness, but instead even expose them. For it is disgraceful even to speak of the things which are done by them in secret. But all things become visible when they are exposed by the light. For everything that becomes visible is light. For this reason it says, Awake, sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Therefore be careful how you walk, not as unwise men, but as wise, making the most of your time, because the days are evil. So then, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is dissipation. But be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody with your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks for all things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ to God, even the Father. And be subject to one another in the fear of Christ. Wives, 
Be subject to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ also is the head of the church, he himself being the Savior of the body. But as the church is subject to Christ, so also wives ought to be to their own husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her so that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, that he might present to himself the church in all her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she would be holy and blameless. So husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his own wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as Christ also does the church, because we are members of his body. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and shall be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is great, but I'm speaking with reference to Christ and the church. Nevertheless, each individual among you is to love his own wife even as himself. And the wife must see to it that she respects her husband. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, so that it may be well with you and that you will live long on the earth. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Slaves, be obedient to those who are your masters according to the flesh with fear and trembling in the sincerity of your heart as to Christ, not by way of eye service as men pleasers, but as slaves of Christ doing the will of God from the heart. With good, render service as to the Lord and not to men, knowing that whatever good thing each one does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether slave or free. And masters, do the same thing to them and give them, give up threatening, knowing that both their master and yours is in heaven and there is no partiality with him. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the full armor of God that you will be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers against powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the full armor of God so that you will be able to resist in the evil day and having done everything to stand firm. Stand firm, therefore, having girded your loins with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. In addition to all, taking up the shield of faith with which you will be able to extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. With all prayer and petition, pray at all times in the Spirit and with this in view, be on the alert with all perseverance and petition for all the saints. And pray on my behalf that the utterance may be given to me in the opening of my mouth to make known with boldness 
the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains, that in proclaiming it, I may speak boldly as I ought to speak, but that you also may know about my circumstances and how I'm doing, Tychicus, the beloved brother and faithful minister of the Lord, will make everything known to you. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, so that you may know about us and that he may comfort your hearts. Peace be to the brethren and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with all those who love our Lord Jesus Christ with incorruptible love. What a letter. I want to confess to you that as a preacher, there were so many phrases I wanted to stop and talk about. It's so encouraging just to hear the flood of God's revelation like that. Let me encourage you, own this book. Read it often. Maybe, maybe a chapter a day over the next year. Maybe read the whole thing weekly over the next year as we study this. I think if we own the practical and wonderful theology in this book, it will forever change us.